So some of you know this. Um, if not, you're going to know it now. Um, so I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm a Cincinnati boy, grew up in Cincinnati. And uh, I cannot say that without mentioning that we're going to the Super Bowl next week. It's just going to have to happen. Um, I promise that I'm going to mention it, and I'm not going to say it again until next week. And then I'm going to say it again. Um, but I have up here, does anybody know what this is? Are you familiar with this? What is this, if you know? That's right. It's Cincinnati's chili. It's specifically Skyline chili. And if you don't know this, let me help you understand a little Cincinnati culture. Um, what you in the South, what we here in the South think of it as chili is not what's in this can whatsoever. Cincinnati chili or Skyline chili is a very, very different chili. In fact, you, you even eat it differently with other things. There are three ways, four ways, five ways, chili cheese, dog conies, like all these things that you have no idea what I'm talking about if you've not gone through Cincinnati before. But we grew up on this stuff. I mean, we always go, even when we go and visit family now, all the kids, we always stop at Skyline Chili to make sure that we get, again, either a three-way, four-way, five-way, or a chili cheese dog. But it's a very different kind of chili. But something happened when Skyline first came out. And I know you're not gonna be able to see this, but on the front here is a very important phrase. If you look at this can of Skyline Chili, it says, original chili. Original, meaning this is like, the first. This is like the best. And here's why they had to put that on there. Because something happened over the years when Skyline came out. These imposters showed up. All these other people started to say, well, we have Cincinnati chili, but it would be with a label that said Gold Star on it. And I'm like, no, 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 not the same. You could go and get all sorts of different versions or different brands of Cincinnati chili, but it won't be the original. It won't be Skyline. Oftentimes I'll get asked that if you've been through Cincinnati, well, which, which one do you like? Do you like Skyline or, or Gold Star or Skyline or this other one? And I'm like, well, it's a no brainer. Like it's the original, it's Skyline every single time. But there's a different version of what I would call the original. And in regards to our Christian faith, there's actually another version of our faith that if we're not aware of it, and Paul's going to talk about this this morning uh, through, through Philippians 3, there's another version of Christianity that if we're not careful, will unintentionally slide into it and becomes very dangerous for us. So how do you tell the difference between the original versus the counterfeits? How do you tell the difference between the original and the other versions. That's what I want us to begin to question this morning. Because Paul talks about, if you got your Bible, Philippians chapter three, we've been in a series called No Matter What, where we are going through Paul's letter to the early church of Philippi. He was actually in prison when he wrote this letter to the early church. And throughout his letter, we see a lot of these themes revolving around the joy of the Lord, how we rejoice at all times. We're going to see that in a second and how we grow in our faith as a community of believers. So Philippians chapter three, we'll start, start in verse one. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, man, I've got Bibles for you. Out in the lobby where you pick up your coffee, make sure you grab a Bible. That's yours, the best gift I know um, how to give you. So make sure you've got that if you don't have one. Look at verse one with me. Paul writes this, verse one out of chapter three. Whatever happens, we might say the phrase, no matter what, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith, to guard your faith. So I'm giving you this one encouragement, this challenge. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Now that phrase rejoice in the Lord really just means to delight in God's grace. You praise God, not because of a situation. You praise God, not because of something personal. You praise God because what he has done, sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross and to give us the gift of grace. And that never changes. So when you're having a bad day, you still rejoice in the Lord because his grace is still there. When you have a great day, you still rejoice in the Lord because that grace has not changed. So rejoicing is not circumstantial or situational because it is based on God's grace. So Paul's giving this reminder. So no matter what, whatever happens, make sure you're rejoicing, and key word here, in the Lord. And that's the original version, if you wanna say it that way, of Christianity, of our faith that we rejoice in the Lord because of his grace and what he has done for us and what we, he has given us. We talked a lot about that last week. But there's been this other version that started to sneak up and it kind of changes this idea of rejoicing in the Lord to rejoicing in me. Now, people probably wouldn't say it that way, but that's ultimately what this other version has done. Instead of rejoicing in what God has done and what God is doing and rejoicing in the grace that he's given us, people started to rejoice in what they had accomplished and what they had done. And slowly but surely, this counterfeit Christianity started to show up and Paul's gonna call it out. So here's some harsh language for you in verse two. This is Bible cussing right here. <laughs> verse two, watch out for those dogs. I know that means something a little bit different here. This is a bad version of dogs, if you're curious. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Do you catch what he's calling them and, and, and attributing to them? He says, those people are doing evil and they're saying, look at what I did to be saved. The focus for a lot of people in this counterfeit, counterfeit Christianity is this word right here, which is, say it with me, me. Look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. And the focus is on me. He says, you've got to watch out for people that start to focus on themselves and what they did and what they accomplished. And according to them, well, that's how you're saved. Did you catch that? Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must do this thing you must be circumcised to be saved. So no longer it's rejoicing in God's grace. It's now rejoicing in what I have done myself and what I have accomplished. Paul quickly comes back and says, no, that's not how this works. Look at the last part of verse three. He says, no, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So he's saying, so we rejoice in the Lord. And he gives that command at the beginning, no matter what, in all situations, make sure you're always rejoicing in the Lord because of his gift of grace. Because you have to watch out. There's a lot of people that don't say it that way. There's a lot of people that focus on just themselves and what they do and what they accomplish. And the way they would build their faith is to say, well, it's what I do. If it's based on me, then it's based off of all the things that I do. That would be what we would call good works the good things that we're told to do, right? The, the law, Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I came to fulfill them. So yeah, there's definitely a lifestyle and we've been talking about the last several weeks. There's a lifestyle that we as believers choose to live 
And yes, it makes us look different. We saw this last week, like shining stars in a dark world. So yes, good works is a big part of it, but these evildoers, these dogs, as Paul calls them, says, well, it's based on me and my good works. And if I do enough good works, then I receive this new life, this new way of living. And if I receive new life, then I finally deserve and earn. It gets tricky building this way. God's grace. This is what Paul says to watch out for. He says, watch out for those that make it about themselves and they rejoice in what they have done so that they then receive a new life. And all of a sudden God's grace is no longer a gift that's given. It becomes a reward that is earned. He says, you've got to watch out. And the reason we have to watch out is if we look at each of these individual aspects of our faith, God's grace, new life, good works, or in the translation you grew up with, maybe it said good deeds. And then of course, ourselves are a big part of this. These are all aspects of our faith without a doubt. You, good works, new life, God's grace, those are all parts of our Christian faith and growing in our faith. The difference is, well, what's the order? What are things built on? That's what Paul is trying to help us understand to say, no, 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 watch out. You have to make sure you're rejoicing in the Lord, not yourself. Because as he put it, we put no confidence in human effort. Now, Paul's gonna get personal. He's gonna tell some of his story next in verse four. He starts to say, you know what? If this is how we grow in our faith, if this is what Christianity looks like, he says, then I am absolutely a great example. Look at what he says here, verse four. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others had re have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. In other words, what he's saying is, man, if good works is the determining factor for receiving God's grace, he says, man, there's nobody better than me. And he's gonna go through it. Listen to how he talks about this. Listen for all the eyes, and that's how we know it's very me-focused. Listen to how he viewed his life before meeting Jesus. Verse five, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Did you catch all the eyes, all the things that I did and I accomplished and who I am? And if that's what determines the new life that we, in this case, earn and the grace that God gives, well, Paul's saying no one would be better than me. But it was all based on him. It was all built on the me. Then Paul met Jesus, an incredible story. You can read about it in the accounts in Acts where he truly met Jesus and changed his life radically. And now Paul's telling people about the grace of God through his one and only son, Jesus. So now he begins to explain to us how he changed. Verse seven, Paul says this. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. That list we just read through right? The circumcision and the law and all the things that he accomplished and everything that he worked hard to do. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, what's it say? Worthless. That's a big and bold statement. 
those things that he spent his life working towards, his life working for. I once considered these things valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Do you notice the shift there? No longer about what I have done, but now about what Christ has done. He goes on, verse eight. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage or refuse or rubbish. I've counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So that's when he started to change how he thought about his relationship with God through his son, Jesus. I once considered all of these things so valuable and I worked so hard for them and I've built my life on all of the things that I did. But then I met Jesus and I recognized that I've been building my life upside down. And I recognize that it's not what I have done, but it's what Christ Jesus has already done for me. And I love that he kind of, almost like he goes a little bit on a rant here. He's like, no, no, no. It's not that I'm just recognizing how great God is and what Jesus has done for me. He goes so far and says, and all those other things, I count it as garbage. When you compare it to knowing Jesus. That word gain here, this last part, where he says, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That word gain there, we don't catch this in our English language. That word gain was really a term only used in with merchants and in a trade scenario back in, in Bible days. Meaning, trading one thing for something of more value. That's literally what that word means. To trade up is maybe how we would translate it. So he said, I had to count all these other things that I considered valuable. I counted them all as worthless so I could trade up. I had to let go of all those things I considered valuable so I could trade up and receive Christ and to build my life on Jesus, not build it on me. Back at the church I was at in California prior to moving here and us starting this church, I was a student pastor. And as student pastors, man, we get to do all the fun stuff. It's all the fun games and events and retreats and outings and all these different things. Uh, one of our student ministry's favorite events, we did it about every year, was a scavenger hunt. And some of you might be familiar with this. It's the bigger and better scavenger hunt. If you don't know what I'm talking about, what we would do is you get all the students, they'd invite a bunch of friends. We'd have all of our small group leaders. We'd break up into teams. And I would hand each and every one of those teams one paperclip. So I'd hand them all a paperclip. Each team had their own valuable paperclip. And I said, teams, you've got two hours. See what you can come back with. So they would have to go and take this paperclip and they'd have to go and trade it for something else, something bigger, something better. Then whatever they received, they'd go to another house. They'd go to another friend's place. They'd go to another grandparent's house and they'd trade that item for something bigger and better. Then they'd take that one and they'd keep trading up and up and up. And then after two hours, they'd all have to show up before the timer went off, show up back at church and we'd see what everybody came back with. And I'm telling you, man, it was amazing. We got dishwashers, <laughs> drying machines. We got wagons, bikes. I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm like, how did you get that from this? It was crazy what these kids were able to trade up for over two hours, again and again and again. 
A, a relatively new YouTuber, Ryan Trahan, did this on an extreme level. He didn't start with a paperclip. He started with a penny. You can Google this. This is fascinating. He started with a penny, traded up bigger and better, bigger and better, kept trading up until he finally got, I kid you not, a house. He got a house from starting with a penny. Now he donated the house, but he traded up. Now we might say, yes, a paperclip is valuable. A paperclip has value. We use paperclips. But is it as value as a bike? No, not a, a penny has value. We use pennies. Does it have value? Yes. Is it valuable? Yes. Compared to a house? Not at all. So what Paul is saying is like, what I once considered so valuable and what I worked so hard to get, I finally realized the truth that it's nothing compared to having Jesus in my life. Let's be honest for a second. Me included in this, I'm not throwing stones. We hold on to a lot of paper clips and pennies, don't we? Things that we think are valuable things that we've been working our whole life to obtain and we try so hard to hold on to and we don't wanna let go of those paper clips and pennies. Things like control. I like to be in control of my life. I like to make my decisions. I like to do things when I wanna do them for no other reason than because I want to. That's valuable to us. Our knowledge, our intellect, it's valuable. We value the things that we know and the things that we can problem solve and the things that we can figure out. We don't wanna let go of those. We value our past experiences, our resume. You know, a resume is just all the things that we hold on to, the things that we accomplished, the things that I did to deserve where I am today. We could go on and on and on about our paper clips and pennies. What is it gonna take to trade that up, to give that up so that you can receive Christ, so that you can focus on what's most important. I'm not devaluing those paper clips and pennies, but when you put it next to Jesus, yes, they all look like garbage. That's what he says here. He said, I counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Everything else is worthless. When compared, when you put it next to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Maybe we need to let go of some paper clips and pennies so that we can lean more into our relationship with Christ. So Paul's taken us on a little bit of this personal journey of where he was before Jesus and who he would be when writing this. He goes on to say this, listen for the eyes. We listened to him earlier. I did this and I accomplished this. He's gonna go through a bunch of eyes again, but notice how they've changed. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Do you notice how different those I statements are this time around? It's no longer just what I did and what I accomplished. He's now pointing to this every single time. 
Every single time he keeps pointing back to what God has done through his son, Jesus. And how I just want to know him and I want to experience life with him. He says, watch out. There is a version of Christianity that is built upside down. And it's hard to see sometimes because it has all the elements of our faith. He says, but it's not about me. In reality, it's all about God's grace. Because grace, again, is not a reward we get and we earn. It's a gift that we receive, a free gift that we are handed. And because of God's grace, not because of anything we do, we then get to experience new life with him. This is all about the relationship, the new life. When Becky and I got married 13 years ago, almost 14 this summer, we immediately began a new life together. And all of a sudden that new life changed a lot of things. It changed how I spent my time. It changed how I spent my money, how I spent our money. <laughs> 13 years, I'm still working on it. <laughs> what we did, the decisions we made, like it changed everything, doesn't it spouses? The moment you say, I do, new life. You no longer are your own, but you are now united with another. So now you experience new life. And yes, you do think differently and you live differently because of that new life. And out of that new life, I started to do the dishes for my wife. Out of that new life, I started to care for her. And I started to do things for her. Not with the fear of if I don't do the dishes, she will divorce me and walk out. No, I did the dishes because I cared for her and it was just part of this new life that I had. I wanted to show her how much I love her. So out of our new life that we get with Jesus and our relationship with him, yes, we begin to do good works. And out of that new life, yes, we know that the Holy Spirit is working in us, producing good works in us and through us. And of course, don't neglect me, but my role becomes very different in this version. My role here is to just point back to the grace of God every single time. It's what we started with, remember? Rejoice in the Lord, to delight in his grace. You know what I love about this version? This is rock solid, mostly. <laughs> but let's be real for a second. Am I perfect? Of course not. Do I always do the right things? No. But my foundation doesn't move, does it? This top part can get real shaky. My new life in him because of my relationship with Jesus and the grace of God never moves. That other version, what happens if you kick me out from underneath it? What happens if my good works weren't good that day? What tumbles? Not rhetorical, what tumbles down? Not rhetorical, what tumbles down? Everything else. That version of Christianity is false because it's based on what we do and, and who we are, not based on what God has done and who we are in him. My identity here is based on God's grace. My identity here is based on the new life I have as a child of God. And this does not get shaken. We just sang that song that talks about a firm foundation and not being shaken. How can we say those things when we do go through tragedies? How do we say those things when we do go through a crisis, when we do experience sin, when the brokenness of our world crashes in around us? 
How can we say I won't be shaken? Of course I'm gonna be shaken. But the foundation that I built my life and my faith on is not shaken. When I'm not perfect, when the people around me aren't perfect, when these two falter, these never do. So in Paul's words, watch out. Watch out for that other version. It's easy for us to slide into that church. It's really easy. Does that mean we don't focus on trying and doing the right things? Of course we do. With the recognition that it's because of the new life we have, which is based on God's grace, not because of how great I am. So here's what I want you to begin to wrestle with personally and think through. We all will slide into this counterfeit Christianity at some point. We all will, will fight against that because it's not natural. Our natural tendency is to focus on what we can do and what's in our control. Go back to the paper clips and, and pennies. But Paul's saying, you've got to fight for this one idea, to rejoice in the Lord, to delight in his grace and to build your life and your faith on him. So let's start at the very bottom. Maybe you're down here and that's just a radically new idea for you. This idea of grace outside of the definition, what am I supposed to do with it? Here's what you do with grace. You receive his grace. That's all you do. You don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to deserve it. You don't get your life back on track and then accept God's grace. The whole point of God's grace is you don't deserve it. This is why our faith is built on that. You begin by receiving his grace. Romans chapter three, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what, we find God's grace because it's a gift he's given us. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his, say it with me, in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through, his, through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's grace. We build our life on him and what he did through his son, Jesus. God's grace, not a reward a gift. And out of that gift, as we said, we receive this new life. So what do you do if maybe you're in this place? Okay, I, I, I've, I've gotten God's grace, but that's all I've gotten. That's as far as I've gotten. Your next step is to recognize the relationship that you have with Jesus. It's not just he saves us and then he's done with us. No, he saves us and invites us into his family. You are a son, you are a daughter of God and he values that relationship. Jesus calls us his friends. We have a valuable and meaningful relationship with him. So in this place of new life, we value his relationship. We lean in and we value the relationship. This is why we spend time with him. This is why we do what we do on Sunday mornings to value this relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us the old is gone and the new is here. Anyone who is in Christ, anyone who belongs to Christ, that's God's grace. Anyone. You're a born again Christian. That's the word that, or the terminology that we would use. And you receive this new life and it's a great new life to live. Is it always easier? Of course not. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Just like the moment you say your vows to your spouse, you begin a new life. And the moment you receive God's grace, you begin a new life. And out of that new life, we're told that we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
who lives and dwells in us, producing things in us, changing us from the inside out. We talked a lot about that last week as well. And from that, we now have a choice. Well, am I gonna choose to act on the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Am I gonna choose to live a life worthy of this new life that I've been given? And we'll struggle with this. We're not gonna have perfection in this, but yes, we do try. So I would tell you, if this is where you're focusing, can I tell you to experience his power? See, this isn't doing good works for the sake of being nice. This isn't doing good things just to be helpful. It's so that you get to experience his power in you and through you, that he wants to change you and then use you. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, in talking about good works, he says this, we know this as like the Sermon on the Mount. Read the whole thing, it's great. I'm gonna just pull one piece out of it. He's talking about us being the light of the world, a city on a hill, if you're familiar with it. And then verse 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your good deeds, your actions shine out for all to see. But he doesn't end there, does he? So that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Notice that the good works point to God, not to me. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Why do we try to serve? Why do we do all the things that would be qualified as good works, good deeds? Not because of me and not to point to me, but to continue to point to the new life I have because of Jesus and the relationship I have with him and the grace that God has given me. It always points back to him. And then yes, of course, I'm a huge piece of, of Christianity because Jesus died for me. He died for you, you are valuable. As we said, you are a child of God. Your identity is not based on your works. Your identity is not based on your past. Your identity is based on your relationship with Jesus and the grace that God's given you. That's how important this becomes. So what do we do? If we don't focus on just this, what do we do? I would suggest this, pursue him. Pursue this relationship. And that's what I would tell any spouse sitting in front of me, man, we're kind of struggling in our marriage. I'm like, are you pursuing each other anymore? Are you still dating? Or is it just about all the things you have to do in your family? Pursue one another, spouses, to have a healthy, growing, thriving relationship. Christian, pursue Jesus. Pursue his grace more and more and gain a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation for who he is in your life and what he's already done for you. So like take a minute, like literally take a minute. Where do you tend to get stuck? You get stuck on the God's grace. Man, I just feel like I've got to earn this. Do you get stuck in the new life and you don't quite view your faith with Jesus as a relationship with Jesus, it's transactional. Maybe you need to lean in here. Maybe you get stuck here Maybe you get stuck here because you just don't like doing good works. <laughs> Welcome to humanity. Maybe you get stuck here because you put so much of an emphasis on it because you're trying to point it back to yourself. May I suggest out of your relationship will come good works and out of your good works, you get to point back to the relationship. Where do you need to pursue him more? I said earlier that grace is a word that is very central to our faith. It is the foundation of our faith because God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because he wanted to be with you, to have a relationship with you. 
And Paul says, don't mess the order up. Don't take God's grace away from him in that way. Rejoice in him always. Delight in his grace. And when we build our faith in this way, our faith will not be shaken. No matter how shaky we get, no matter how shaky our days are, our relationship with him and the grace that he gives us will never falter. So where do you need to pursue? Where do you need to lean in? I wanna leave you with Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. Paul writes a lot of prayers throughout his letters. This is a prayer to the early church of Ephesus. And I would pray this over you as well. When I think of all of this, you can read earlier in chapter three what he's talking about, but it's basically this idea. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, that he would empower you with inner strength through his spirit, not yourself. He would strengthen you through his spirit. When Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. I want you to say something with me, and this is maybe hard to say. If you've experienced God's grace and have a relationship with him, Paul just said something that's pretty, pretty profound. He said, I'm complete. Did you catch that on that last part? Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. If you're a believer in Christ and you've received his grace, then you have new life and you are complete. We don't say that a lot, do we? I'm not perfect and I'm this. I get that. Yeah, this can be shaky. But because of his grace and the relationship you have with him, fellow believer, you are complete. Did you say that with me? Say, I'm complete. Say it again, I'm complete. Say it again, I'm complete. No matter what the lies of this world tell you, no matter the lies, even our heart can be deceitful above all else. Say it again, I am complete. I am complete. You are complete because of God's grace and the relationship you have with him. May we never give in to the counterfeit version, but may we build our life on the faith that God has given us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for what you have done for us, not what you require of us. And may we fight for this faith to build our lives on your grace and the relationship we have with you, not on ourselves and what we do. Most certainly what we do is vastly important. It's a tool that we use to point other people back to you. So may we not lose sight of who we are in you. May we not lose sight of the importance of building our life and our faith on your grace because I am complete. Not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus, what you've already done for me.
In Jesus' name, amen.